This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. I remember growing up with the mob, right? And it wasn't like Goodfellas kind of mob. Right. It was, I always felt like I think I grew up with C team mob. Yeah, like the potato mafia. Who were you? Who was the mob of your little uh, Polish neighborhood? It was the Gambino family. Oh. It was the Gotti Gotti's during Gotti's reign. And I remember it was just a big fat guy. He'd be like, "Hey, come over here, hey chubby little kid, come over here." And I'm like. Mister, the only thing I want to do is entertain. <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, how about this? Uh, me and my boys will sit over here on this couch, and you jiggle around like you're my wife, and I'll give you a free Pepsi. Hey, it <laughs> is like the potato mafia. <laughs> and so I would go, and I would I would make yucks uh-huh. at the at the the mob guys, and then they give me a free soda from the soda machine. And the whole time I was like, wow, showbiz. <laughs> so he had to give me this bag filled with stuff, and they say take it to the guy on the corner, and I just go, you got it, Mister, and just like walk over wow. and drop off a bag. And so I'm a made man. Yeah, if you weren't so unbelievably <laughs> awkward and inept, you might have had to work for the mob. Okay, this is the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. Look at it, Marcus Parks. Hello. How are you, buddy? And then in beautiful, horribly hot Los Angeles, because he's not wearing a t-shirt, Henry Zabrowski. Uh, it's belly slap time. Yay. <laughs> it's belly slap time. Here comes the bats. <laughs> Look at that. Watch out. All right. Well, Henry told a mafia story up top here because that ties into the subject of today. This dude, he's known as the Iceman. Mm-hmm. His name is Richard Kuklinski. 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 And I'm going to say mean guy. <laughs> I'm just going to wow, throw that Kessel. out there. Brave. Honestly. Brave. Brave. Well, Richard Kuklinski was an unrepentant murderer who killed at least 100 and possibly as much as 200 people during his 30-year career as a freelance mafia hitman for New York's infamous five families, in addition to two New Jersey mob families. And that's a big get. To have somebody who could operate for all of the different families is very difficult. You have to yeah. be very good at your job, technically, quote-unquote, swish, swish, swish. And also, we are not normally a mob podcast no no right yeah, it's just, so a lot of us because mob guys you know what i mean it's a job for the most part and so for us it's like normally it's like we'll get to al capone when we're on year like 15 <laughs> right of doing the show and we're also doing like sometimes food goes bad marcus <laughs> what's one of the top 10 worst bad foods oh that's great actually apples oranges but, pizza never goes bad exactly but kuklinski is 
especial. Yes. yes, absolutely. And I do wonder, wonder if you registered with the Freelancers Union to get health care. <laughs> That's important. Now, Kuklinski never once failed to fulfill a contract, nor Ooh. did one ever go even slightly askew. From the moment Richard took a contract, you were a dead man walking. Yikes. The media dubbed him the Iceman, but to those who knew and feared him, he was simply called the Devil. The Devil! Oh, oh, even a scarier term. Why does Dude. the media make these people like give them the awesome nicknames? Uh, because Dean Malenko was a wrestler named the Iceman, and he was just boring. But this man, nothing boring about this guy. His bosses were scared of him. Yes. His family was scared of him. His friends were scared of him. He was six foot five, three hundred pounds. Kissel's fucking size. He could move like a cat. They said that he naturally <laughs> moved on the balls of his feet. Yeah. He moved silently. He could he move silently. <laughs> like he could be imagine being your size Ugh. but still being able to hide. Oh, you imagine me being flexible and in shape. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I just don't <laughs> feel like Kuklitsky going down that road. Kuklitsky wasn't in shape. Kuklitsky was 300 pounds of beer and pierogi. I heard he moved like a cat. But he comes from a long line of like me deceptively able Polish uh, people. Okay. People deceptively physically able. I'm the fastest man within 10 feet. We showed it on the stream. He is, and he can just do it, and he would pride himself in being like, the funny thing about me is, is that the... Uh, <laughs> You never see me coming. And you're like, stop it! Creepy. That needs to be on your tombstone, by the way. The fastest man within 10 feet. I love it. Now, the biggest question when it comes to Richard Kuklinski and when it comes to hitmen and assassins in general is this. Can and should Richard Kuklinski be classified as a serial killer? All right. I'm going to withhold my opinion. Now, this is a question. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Good. No problem. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> it's withheld. <laughs> now, this is a question that we hope to answer by the end of our three-part series. However, this question, as well as Kuklinski's story, is muddied by the mythology that has sprung up around Kuklinski, owing mostly to the 2013 mm. Michael Shannon movie, The Iceman. Marcus, Ugh. you are unseasonably mad about am, the Iceman. <laughs> I am incensed about this movie. I mean, you I were texting me at like two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> just being like, "This is a shame. What this does? I cannot believe that the tarnishing of the American flag that this movie does commit." Yes. Yeah. Did you leave a comment on Rotten Tomatoes by any chance? Because that's, no. that's too much. Okay. No, but I can say, rewatch the movie this week. This movie is among the most offensive adaptations out there of a true crime story. It paints Kuklinski as a sympathetic, loving family man who was forced into killing and mm. never killed anyone who didn't deserve it and only got angry at his family like twice. Yeah, hey, hey, dog meat, I would say he did, it's like he got mad at his family twice, but it lasted for 15 years at a stretch. Ah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So the day he stopped being mad, one of them just fucking had it, you know, leave the cabinets open and then all of a sudden you walk through and you try to take something out of the bottom cabinet you lift your head up and you fucking you pop your head in the corner mm. of the fucking cabinet door I'll kill the whole family yeah and then it swells up like an animated cartoon there and then you gotta push it down with your finger but then it comes out your temple I know how it works so they gave him sort of the John Cusack treatment from gross point gross point blank they I'm, made him like a lovable character they made I wouldn't say lovable not necessarily they made him very sympathetic okay now in reality Kuklinski was a 
dead-eyed, murderous force of mm. nature who terrorized his wife and three children constantly. He brutally beat his wife as a matter of course and openly told his kids that if he ever accidentally killed her, he'd have to kill them too in the cover-up. Again, I'm not going to say this is a reasonable thing to say to your family. No, it's not. But he's correct. It's what has to be done. Well, I do think that he was speaking matter-of-factly, which is probably why it makes it more terrifying, because yes, he wasn't yes. joking. Or maybe this is a Polish mafia joke. I don't know. No. no, 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 no. As far as the sweetness goes, like he always made sure to tell his oldest daughter that he'd have the hardest time killing her because she was his favorite. What? Like, thank you. <laughs> like, what do you say to that exactly? It's technically a compliment from him, <laughs> yes. because Richard Kuklinski, once we get into it, you're going to see that he legitimately not even as a bit killed every single one of his friends oh. in a very bizarre organized berserker mode the only way a professional contract killer could go into berserker mode mm. in which he systematically murders every single person that he knows okay berserker hey. mode that ties into serial killers I'm withholding judgment but I'm putting that in the <laughs> <Yes>. file <laughs> but it's not berserker mode because oh. berserker mode is completely and totally unhinged I'm, this was controlled this was calculated okay. and it was pulled off perfectly I'm taking it out of the file <laughs> And, you know, as far as his family goes, all that shit, that's not even mentioning the first family that he completely abandoned. Richard Kuklinski was not a family man. He was not the family mm. man serial killer. He was a piece of shit. And as far as his murders went, he by no means only killed, quote unquote, bad guys. Hmm. If Richard Kuklinski is to be believed, he killed numerous motorists for actions mm. as innocent as flipping him off in traffic. Can we say this, though, about the first family? They really dodged a bullet. They dodged they a really bullet. Like, out, of, like, out, of, out of all the, like, you hear stories about, like, parents or fathers leaving the family. But in this case, probably a good thing. And as far as uh, killing people goes, as far as just murdering random people, he once shot a dude in the forehead with a crossbow just to see how well it would work. This is what you have to remember, how, how it went down. Yeah. You guys, it's just, he pulled his car over. He bought a brand new crossbow. Oh, my. He's fucking with it. And he's just like... Hey, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be doing anything or if this is some kind of fun little lark I can kind of swing around. He sees a guy on the corner, and he's like, Hey, excuse me. Come here. And the guy walks over. He's like, Yes. And he shoots him in the head with the crossbow just what? as he's looking in the fucking window. Could and that's it. That's all he did. Could have done without that, sir. <laughs> I mean, that is horrifying. He's like Jason Voorhees in an yeah. urban environment. He's about the size of Jason Voorhees. Good Lord. Now, although he certainly killed many of his victims with shots to the chest, knives to the brainstem, as the movie portrayed, what they didn't portray is that he constantly found new and inventive ways to kill victims based on how much his mob contractors wanted the marks to suffer. Hmm. He was so into the idea of finding new ways to kill people that he'd watch Wile E. Coyote cartoons and take notes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Honestly, if you... If you know someone who watches Wile E. Coyote cartoons and takes notes, it's either um, someone who maybe, uh, I don't want to be, I'm not going to malign anyone, but maybe it's not the larger bus, um, or or it's, it's someone it sounds like, yeah, or it's someone who is a serial killer, or a, a hitman, rather. It technically sounds like a mentally handicapped person planning their wedding, but he is there. And that is, that is he a, is, we love everyone on this. He is watching the yeah. cartoons, and they're being like, the thing is, though. How can I get a rubber band that big? 
I'm not a good enough painter in order to do that Trump on the wall to convince people that the highway keeps going. Yeah. But if only I could have been good if my father just let me paint like I wanted him to. Just got a bunch of rubber black circles lying all over the house. He throws against the wall and tries to run You fall down. Hey, Barbara, come here. See if you fall down this. God. God damn it. God damn it. Yeah, he ripped off guys' tongues and shoved them up their asses. Oh, my God. I don't remember that in a Wiley cartoon. (laughs) He used road flares to burn off dudes' genitals. And other guys, he left to a fate so cruel and inhuman that we're going to have to wait to explain that one fully. Okay. Yeah. This is a three-part series, and we're going to be covering quite a bit of the mayhem that Richard Kuklinski caused. What I will say, though, is a lot of the beginning ideas were kind of given to him by his bosses, but also mm. they, when you just give him, like, freestyle moment, <laughs> like, right. like if you just so, like, and Richie... You just take this one. You just do what you're going to do. And the guy, the way the guy, like, because Richard was one of those very silent types. So he would he would barely speak a word, which is interesting as to how it would pan out to now having three hours worth of documentary on the books. Right. As that he sits and he's just, he would go, mm-hmm. And then they'd leave. And you know those bosses are all like, God, I should have just told him to shoot him in the head. Right. <laughs> So he's basically the hitman equivalent of running. He's running the triangle. Phil Jackson's the triangle. It's, you got a lot of leeway. You can really kind of create whatever you want. Richie starts building his library by grabbing old copies of VHSs of Nickelodeon's Doug to see if there's anything in there, like some rugrats. Now, granted, some of these guys that he murdered had committed grievous acts of violence. Mm. And one could even argue that some of them might have deserved it. Okay. But... Half the time, Richard didn't even know what these people had done. Hmm. If the boss said, make them suffer, they suffered. And whenever Richard could, he enjoyed it up close and personal. This is a clip of him saying why. What did you want him to think as they died? Just see my pretty face. I take it to them. But the last thing they ever saw was me. And if they carry that glimpse to eternity, infinity, or whatever it is, they're going to be thinking of me all that time. Yikes. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I have a question. Now, did he carry a boombox that played that ominous music at all times? Like the Joker had the laughing uh, laughing machine in his belt pocket? Okay. You hear it. It's like, like, as he comes, he'll be like, Oh man, Iceman's here. At least make sure you know what he likes. Get him a hot dog Chicago style and two <laughs> boilermakers. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, that sounds good. Now, Richard Kuklinski did at least have some morals. Pretty much no women, no children. Mm. But the perspective on Kuklinski taken in The Iceman is similar to if we made a movie about John Wayne Gacy and just focused on how great of a clown he was. Oh, that's a fantastic movie. Yeah, that is. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Like, honestly, I want to play that. I want to do that. Where it's just like it's truly just John Wayne Gacy wanted to be a classic buffal, and yeah. then everybody was just getting in his way. I do like. I love the whole movie happening. Just John Wayne Gacy as the clown, and then at the very end, just a screen. Twenty nine bodies were found in the floorboards of Mr. Gacy's house. <laughs> And then just leave everybody like, what? What did we just watch? Now, the reason why we know so much about Kuklinski is because Richard talked, as we've already heard. He began 
with an HBO documentary in the early 90s called The Iceman Tapes, Mm. Conversations with a Killer. Now, it seems like the movie Iceman, the Michael Shannon movie, took its narrative from just this first documentary, ignoring everything else Kuklinski and his family said afterwards. In this first one, Kuklinski's portrayed as, you know, like the movie, you know, as a family man who just happened to be a vicious killer, and even his wife speaks of him in fond terms. Mm. But Kuklinski kept talking. He did two more HBO documentaries, and each time he was more and more truthful. Then finally, he was most forthcoming with author Philip Carlo, whose book, The Iceman, Confessions of a Contract Killer, Hmm. makes up the bulk of the information we'll be using for this series. And I like to imagine that our audience, for the most part, is a little bit more true crime educated than other audiences. I think so, And it's probably seen the documentaries more so than seeing the Michael Shannon movie. Yeah, So I think people really kind of get a glimpse more of what the animal is, and it's more just the what Holly does and the way it kind of they, they fuck things up where it's like right. the movie would have been so much better yeah. if you just did it like it was in reality and, I yeah. think and so you much, had yeah. Michael Shannon actually just get to be the Iceman Ooh. I mean cause that was that sold me to begin with I was like ooh I love Michael Shannon mm-hmm. and it's like I want to see him fucking do move, do the tree which we'll find out what the tree is later ooh, I want to see like him this. do that shit now there are a few reasons why I'm more inclined to believe Kuklinski over other killers mm. first The more Kuklinski and his family talk, the worse they all sound. Nobody comes out looking good here in the end. Uh Uh-oh. Some of his stories do now some of his stories do sound just a little bit too good to be true, but he's not like a, a lot of other guys like Dennis Nilsson who make themselves sound better as time goes on, mm. finding excuses for their behavior. But what we do have with Kuklinski <clears throat> is a, there's there are news stories that back up a lot of his crimes. Yep. There's a lot of stuff that you could tie to that he did do this shit. And uh there but I also th- I do believe he trumped some of it up. But I think we're in the world of like when we did the satanic government or we do any of these type of things where it's like if even just 10% of of it is true it's pretty insane right yeah Yeah, after uh, he spoke in the HBO documentaries they cleared 13 cold cases jeez just on him talking about shit and them taking what he said and matching it up with police records uh, and news stories of the time All right. I think the reasons why Kuklinski talked were simple first he was proud of his work he was one of the best in America and therefore one of the best in the world Hmm. but he'd never been able to talk about it so openly Mm -hmm. because before he had to think about both getting caught and the safety of his family. But by the time he talked to Philip Carlo in the 2000s, he'd been in prison for nearly 20 years Mm. and the mob families he'd worked for were either completely dismantled or dead by the time he talked. Kuklinski felt like he had carte blanche, but as we'll see, Kuklinski may have been wrong on that point. Okay. Dead wrong. Yep. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah, yeah. Good work. Yikes. Good work, Dogby. Thank you. Um, I will say what I will, like, he is also, in many ways, obviously terrible man, horrible monster. But he was the Polish warrior <laughs> that my home country needed in the 30s. Because if your grandfather came over that hill, stomping, like, as, the, as he's walking backwards into Warsaw... <laughs> And he looked over and he saw Kuklinski doing the fucked up shit that he's doing. We maybe could have had a a little bit of a fighting chance. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So Richard Kuklinski, as per the diagnosis he received in the third HBO documentary, The Iceman and the Psychiatrist, 
suffered from antisocial personality disorder, and a part of that disorder is complete and total fearlessness. Hmm. As Dr. Park Dietz explains, some people who have inherited this disorder become race car drivers, experimental test pilots, bomb squad technicians, or any other number of high-risk, high-pressure professions. Hmm. All guys that are currently fucking your girlfriend when you're not, <laughs> oh, no. in, when you're not around. You oh know what I mean? my yes. goodness. And maybe people who used to jump horses off of high, uh, high, high uh, platforms. Remember yeah, them? but guess who's doing the jumping in that? Who? The horse. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. when it comes down to it, like the horse is the the one that's doing the, the fearful part not the man on top of the horse he's oh. actually maybe he's the only one who truly understands what's happening but the horse still has to do the jumping that's true now, these guys usually turn out good because they come from loving caring families mm. but the guys with this disorder that come from an abusive background usually take a different path altogether yeah. in other words nature gives them a tool and nurture determines how that tool is used uh. and you can probably guess what kind of childhood Richard Kuklinski had. Really Honestly, nice now, <laughs> no, 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 not all, right. no, try again. Uh, uh, Natalie actually was talking to me about this, about how the big, she was talking about the history of stunt people. She had a lot of original stunt people were uh, guys that were just, who didn't give a fuck. So yeah. they're like, yeah, I'll jump through a fucking window. Yeah, I'll get hit by a car. They were just like crazy guys with no fear that will just do fucked up shit, which I think is the majority of hitmen as well. Like, I've been trying to find research as to whether or not there were other ones like Kuklinski that took their work so quote-unquote personally and I'm certain that there was and we'll probably hear about it I love people mm. listeners if you know stories of other fucked up hitmen please send because I love reading about them but I wonder where the differences are yeah so Richard Leonard Kuklinski was born April 11th 1935 in Jersey City New Jersey hey. to an evil sociopath named Stanley uh -oh. and a hollow shell of a woman named Anna a woman that Richard would later call simply Cancer. I would have named them maybe something like AIDS, but uh, <laughs> that's got to do with fucking. And I'm talking about my mother. Okay? You say one word of disrespect about my mother. Well, <laughs> I can't say anything bad about your mother, but you nicknamed her Cancer? How is that fair? Come here. What? I got this crossbow. <laughs> it's fun, right? Could have done without that. <laughs> uh, Stanley... Richard's father was Polish and had immigrated from Warsaw, while Anna was an orphan whose father had died of pneumonia while her mother had been hit and killed by a truck soon after. Jeez. She, it's, like the, it's like the beginning of Johnny Dangerously. Uh. <laughs> she grew up being beaten by nuns and oh. molested by priests, so her demeanor was possibly a little more understandable with even Richard saying that she was a victim of her own life. Mm -hmm. The way that my mom and my uncles and my father and his uncles talk casually about how often everyone was molested by priests in the 1940s and 50s is fucking brutal. Yeah, the way they just toss it out, they were like, yeah, and so once he was done molesting me, then we went down to the park <laughs> and played handball, and you're just like, Jesus Christ. What was that, uh, what was that first part again? Uh, you know what, let's skip <laughs> it. Let's just go to the park. Well, Stanley, on the other hand, 
was just pure evil, mm. at least from his family's perspective. He was a violent drunk, but the beatings could come at any time. It's just that when he drank, the beatings got worse. Mm. And so Richard Kuklinski grew up facing unprovoked beatings on an almost daily basis. Richard was so afraid of his father that he would sometimes wet himself at nothing more than the sound of his father's voice. And guess what that did to his father? Made him real fucking mad. Yeah. I Every single assume. time he pissed his pants in front of him, so he'd wail on him again. So a very, very horrible uh, cycle. And yeah. the father looked like Flat Top from Dick Tracy. Really? <laughs> Scary. I don't like this Stanley guy one bit. Oh, no. No. <laughs> and it wasn't just Richard who was on the receiving end of the violence. Anna got it, too, to the point where Stanley once stabbed his own wife in the back. Jesus. But neither one got it as bad as Richard's frail older brother, Florian. Well, Stanley liked to hit Florian on the back of the head. And we're not talking slaps here. We're talking full-on punches. Mm. And Stanley, he was a railroad brakeman. He mm. was a small guy, but they said he was strong as a bull. I'm sure. So one night, Stanley hit Florian over and over again in the back of the head until the young boy fell to the floor and never got up. He killed his kid? He beat yeah, his dude. own son uh, to death. Jeez. In front of the family, because you remember, this is like tenement housing. Right. They lived in like one room. Right, So right. it's like he beat him to fucking death in front of his own family, and Richard, they're all just sitting and watching, and then he's like, the father has to turn around and be like, this didn't happen. Like, yeah. on honestly, like they all, because he was also a Polish native, and they all, like, uh, everyone had to turn the other way immediately. Right. Yeah, yeah. We just go back to eating like, oh, Salisbury steak is on the table. Like, I mean, <laughs> how, how crazy is that? Yeah, and they just told everyone in the neighborhood that he fell down the stairs. Hmm. Uh, and they all, everyone nodded in unison. I was sure. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Even because they were all also burying a son that they just accidentally beat. Today. Yeah. Are your stairs by any chance made of human knuckles? <laughs> because that seems to be what looks like in the back of his head. But instead, yeah, it's true. I bought my house on this new real estate. Have you this new real estate uh, agent? Have you met? His name is David Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> but. After this, instead of Stanley learning a lesson, Richard's beatings only got worse. Oh, no. And his mother was just as bad as Stanley. Richard's mother once beat Richard so hard with a broomstick that Richard passed out, and when he woke up, it took him a while to remember his own name. And this was after Florian was killed. Dogmeat, give them some credit. He said that he did lay off for almost a month. <laughs> After Florian died, there was a one-month hiatus, one-month yeah, break. Yeah, where he'd, he would go like, ooh, and be like, and everyone would be like, no, this is a reasonable time. And they're like, oh, yes, yes, we're reasonable now. Good and it lasted Lord. for a very short period of time. Crazy. Yeah, and the beatings didn't just come from home. Richard, who was a bit of a late bloomer, spent a lot of his childhood and adolescence as, you know, <clears throat> tall but thin and somewhat fragile. Mm. So he got the shit beat out of him by bullies in the neighborhood on a regular basis. But Richard was also getting lessons in violence from his father. One day, Richard ran home for comfort after a neighborhood pummeling. Hmm. And when he told his dad what had happened, Stanley beat him with a belt and told him to get his ass back out there and take care of it. I feel like he would really like that song, Jeremy, by Pearl Jam. <laughs> I think he might really oh, get no. into it. And so Richard went back down and beat the living 
fuck out of the two boys who'd beaten him earlier. And mm. then when the boy's father came down to stop it, Stanley came down too Uh-oh. and beat the hell out of him, <laughs> knocking him out in one punch. He said, yeah, you didn't do anything when my boy was getting beat up, but then when your boys are losing, you come down. So he just fucking one punched his ass. Is it? And the way... The way they described it, the way Ku Klinska described it, is that his father jumped out the front window and landed on his feet and ran out and beat the shit out of the dude. Have you ever seen your dad jump? I did one time. I didn't think it was possible. I did it one time and it was terrifying. Like I watched my father like move fast one time, and I was like, oh wow, he actually he can move fast. Is it strange to think that that was actually kind of a sweet moment in his childhood when his father defended him? At least I I don't think so. I I don't don't know. I don't know. I, it was more like you're beating up my property. Well, yeah, it, sure. w- it wasn't like you're beating up somebody I love. It's like, I beat the fuck out of my boy. You don't beat the fuck out of my boy. When I was a child, I was bicycling home during the winter time, and these kids, these bullies, threw a bunch of snowballs at me. I fell off my bicycle, and I was weeping like the like the young kid in Christmas Story, mm-hmm. just crying and crying. And then my father went over there. He knocked on their door, and the guy hid in the bathroom, and my father screamed at him. And it was very <laughs> cool. And they were like they were like juniors in high school. I was in sixth grade. <laughs> I just don't really understand so why cool. anybody beats up on the big kid. Yeah. I don't understand that mentality. You befriend the big kid. You groom him to be your protector. That's no. what I understood. We yes. have a finite amount of time where you can where you can bully the big kid because our brains, we just want to be loved. And then everyone's like, you can't be loved. You're too big. And then <laughs> it takes a long time for us to love ourselves enough to say, you know what? Stop picking on me. Yeah. Don't pick hey. on me anymore. That's what I told Kissel. him. What? Kissel, can I just ask this? Yeah, you may not be able to answer this on air. Uh-oh. But where are the bodies? <laughs> oh, come on. I live in an apartment for crying out loud. Well, well after the incident with uh, the two boys and Richard's father, Richard learned a lesson. He learned that he could turn violence to his advantage. Mm. Stanley and Anna had a couple more kids after that, including Richard's brother, Joseph, who we'll get to later. Yeah, yikes. Yikes on Joseph. Big yikes on Joseph. Big yikes on Joseph. Okay, wait for that. But eventually, Stanley shacked up with a Polish woman and, for the most part, left the family alone. Polish women satisfy. Okay. (laughs) But by that point... (laughs) I'm going to get a t-shirt that says that for myself. (laughs) But by that point, the die had already been cast in Richard. Mm. By the time he'd reached adolescence, Richard had already fulfilled two out of the three points of the McDonald Triad. Uh-oh. And to give a refresher, the McDonald Triad is a set of three factors that occur in childhood that are predictors for future violence. Mm. Bedwetting, arson, and animal cruelty. Mm. And Richard managed to combine two out of the three. Creative! I guess. <laughs> He started by tying the tails of stray cats together and throwing them over clotheslines just to see the cats rip each other apart. Mm. But his most cruel habit was throwing cats down the incinerator in his apartment building. He'd throw them down the chute, turn on the incinerator, Uh and then sit and watch through the window as the cats would try to claw their way back up. I just feel like you're waiting for an accident with the incinerator in the apartment complex. I don't think they do that anymore. And it was like a, <laughs> no, it was a horrible idea to start with. Why yeah, because like, who's building the apartment? And be like, let's put a fire in the middle of it. What like <laughs> what kind of thinking is that? Yeah, why do why does every apartment building need a crematory? <laughs> like there's no there's no real reason. But he would say he. Richard Kuklinski, I think, and the comparison will come up again and again, is very similar to Carl Panzram because he did have a 
he did have sort of a, a, a self-conscious, like, he was, would see, seek within himself, like, questions about why is he the way he is. Mm. And he said, after the fact, that the reason why he murdered the animals is because he was curious about why he didn't feel anything. Yeah. Where he'd sit, oh, he'd, be, he'd throw them, and then he'd be like, I should be feeling something. Like, why don't I feel it? Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's like, uh, I, I don't know the name of the condition, but when you don't feel any physical pain, yeah. he didn't feel any emotional pain. Not really. No. Oh. And he and dogs, hell, he'd do it to dogs too. Oh. Like he'd find dogs, pour gasoline on them, light them on fire, watch them run around. He'd bludgeon dogs to death. He'd tie them to the bumpers of buses. And eventually he killed so many animals that the whole neighborhood completely bereft of strays. He called it his uh, pastime. I mean- they had to notice that something was going on. Like, did well, anyone yeah. try to stop and be like, hey, Richard, come over here. Let's have some cake. Let's not kill a dog today. We are of a generation that has begun to infantilize our dogs and cats because our generation's not really having many kids. Mm, Back in the day, true. I do believe that they would look at stray dogs and cats as a nuisance. Sure. And again, it's more of a... Oh, that huge kid's doing his hobby again. And they have to go and <laughs> they're like, oh, thank God, because they would yeah. attack They would attack our rutabagas. I don't know what that's I, 1930, what was this? The 1940s, I suppose. No, this is 30s, 40s, okay. yeah. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. 
Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at Babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with your seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. So since Richard's mother only worked menial jobs and there were four mouths to feed in the house, Richard started stealing food to make sure everyone had something to eat, from Drake's delivery trucks to train oh, cars. The, the classic Drake's? Oh, the classic yeah. Drake, Drake's. Drake cakes? Drake cakes, yeah. Really? Coffee, Drake's yeah. coffee cakes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he just started stealing food to eat, and then he found that he liked stealing, so he started moving up to stealing cars. Hmm. And he also engaged in petty theft, particularly the True Crime magazines, which he'd take every week from the local candy store. Oh. It wasn't long before Richard realized that the only thing he'd ever be good at was crime. He was, the first, he was the first true crime superfan to then also use that knowledge for himself like mm. he like he understood early on being like oh i'm a criminal oh this is what i do right sort of like a charles manson i guess in that regard right he's a professional I mean, criminal yeah he's also just i mean he's just straight on panzram yeah he's just straight mm. on like he is a he's a villain that's why we'll right. talk about again serial killer i don't know villain yes like would you call genghis khan a serial killer. I mean, technically, he is like oh, the you know to use again the Dan Carlin, the capital G great man, but that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean good man. 
You know, with Genghis Khan, I wouldn't call him a serial killer to his face anyway. That is for sure. And please, Henry, it's Genghis Khan. Oh, Oh my God. God God damn it. God damn it. Good Lord. Well, it is kind of ironic. So he's stealing true crime books and becoming a criminal while he uh, mags and becoming a criminal while he does it. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, out of those true crime magazines, the kind of crime that Richard paid attention to the most was murder. Really? Murder. I don't know. I just had a, a vision of a centerfold for a true crime magazine, just like a Glock, or just like a big knife. Like, like what's the centerfold for a true crime mag? Goon of the month, where it's just like guys oh, with like balaclavas on and nooses. Yeah. Well, definitely not blaming the true crime magazines here, uh, right. but it was only a matter of time before Richard started applying the knowledge he was learning mm. to how he was going to kill people himself. Okay. And he started with the gang of bullies that terrorized him every day. Ooh. The victim was the leader of the gang, Charlie Lane. And the original plan was just a simple beatdown. But like it is with so many other killers, that beatdown edged its way into murder. Wow. Murder. <laughs> what I will say is that it's like the group of bullies from A Christmas Story. I was going to say that. If if they ran into Jason Voorhees. Yeah. It's like, if this group of like, they flipping coins, I mean like, hey, get out of here, tall boy. Yeah, get out of here, tall Polish boy. Hey, hey, you Polish. Because that was a big thing is that they always making fun of him because he's fucking Polish. Mm. Yeah. But guess what? You know what happens sometimes when you make fun of a Polish person? What? Oh, it builds and it builds uh-huh. and it builds and it builds and it builds. And just one day, Bam! 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 Uh, bam! Now, now, are we still talking about Kuklinski, or is that you? <laughs> well, you know, they never made a Christmas story too. Ralphie very well have may may have become a serial killer. We don't. They know. did make a. They did oh, make did a they? Christmas story too. Oh, yes, they did. On. There was a uh, really? there was a sequel. Yes, where it's him in summer camp. I believe trying to like. Poor the neighbor girl. I don't remember. It's some weird like weird. other nineteen sixties plot. Okay. Yeah. Well, Richard's plan was to take a wooden clothes pole from his closet and beat Lane when he came home late at night. Just simple revenge. Okay. You fuck with me, I'm going to beat you up. Now, when you say plan, did he jot this down? <laughs> like, like, it doesn't seem like that much of a... It's not a very... It's not elaborate. It's not no, a, no. Kissel, no. he sat... Like, yeah, he doesn't have blueprints. He doesn't okay. have, like, a neighborhood right. breakdown. But he... This is... Will become the trademark of Richard Kuklinski. He is an incredible planner and knew exactly, he knows what to do. And that's a part of what's really, again, it's very surprising because you didn't think a man is essentially, I would use the human category of lug. He is a lug, and you'd think that he wouldn't do this shit, but he was very clever. <laughs> oh, very clever indeed. This is a weird Helmer Fudd. <laughs> well, that's what, I mean, he did actually sit and wait for hours upon hours. He sat mm. that they all lived in the projects together. Okay. And so he sat at the entrance waiting for Lane to come home. And then when Lane came home, Richard confronted him and Lane called him a dumb Pollock. Oh. And Immediately. And then you think, yeah. you're not even going to say hello. You're going to be like, hey, Richie, why are you staring at me? Hey, Richie, it seems like you've been standing here for a couple hours, you dumb Pollock. I'm Whoa. only calling you a dumb Pollock because you should be out having fun. Yeah. Could have just called him a Pollock. It's understood. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I got into a little bit of a roast, Bozo. That's a bit of a roast. Of a roast. Builds and builds and builds <laughs> no. and builds and then pop, pop, pop. 
<laughs> well, when Charlie Lane called him a dumb Pollock, something snapped. Okay. Richard hit him right above the ear, and that sent Charlie right to the ground. But once Charlie was on the ground, Richard just kept hitting him. Again and again and mm. again and again. Finally, he threw down the dolly and then just started kicking him again and again and again. Jeez. And then finally, he stopped and composed himself. He looked down. Charlie Lane wasn't moving anymore. So Richard, using a trick he'd learned from his true crime magazines, checked Lane's pulse and found he'd beaten his bully to death. And then he said, not so dumb Pollock. <laughs> Not so dumb Pollock, huh? Wow. Because a dumb Pollock would have kept you alive. <laughs> oh, no, Richie, oh. So, again, Richie, using his true crime knowledge, knew that he had to get rid of the body. Mm. And this tells you how fearless this guy was, even as a teenager. He just accidentally killed someone, and he just immediately thinks, like, how do I take care of this problem? Right. So he grabbed a car he'd stolen, bundled Charlie Lane's body into the trunk, and took off driving south. And he said the further he drove, the better he felt about killing Charlie Lane. Jeez. Said, he made him, said it made him feel invincible. And thus... Killing became Richard Kuklinski's defense mechanism. And it's like when we discovered that if if you're funny, you don't get wailed on as hard. Right, right. And then we turned it into this. Yeah. Into into this lifestyle that we've chosen. Yeah. But he was like the opposite. All of this is sort of like if the Scooby-Doo gang was reversed. (laughs) And if the Scooby-Doo gang was actually like the Firefly family. (laughs) Killing people and then covering it up. Ooh, I'm excited for that new movie. The funny thing is that they said uh, Kuklinski, when he was younger, he was actually the class clown in Catholic school. But then the nuns beat that out of him. Ah, I see. I do get the feeling if he could have, he would have been listening to Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) It's a real Bruce moment, I think. He loved country music. Oh, well, country cut, music, and, but yeah, in, he likes the music that you like, Kissel. Uh, he likes Waylon Jennings. He likes oh, old school country. He likes all that stuff. Well, Bruce, Bruce is the country of the East. That's what <laughs> I've heard. That I'd say the same. Bob Seger as well. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, okay. That's it. No, I, I, that's I, it. No, I agree with you. I love Bob Seger. Turning the page lets you know what to do. Well, Kuklinski wasn't done with Charlie yet. Richard took his first victim down to the Pine Barrens, Uh-oh. home of the Jersey Devil, Uh-oh. and brought the body out of the trunk. He then took a hammer and knocked out all of Charlie's teeth. And after that, he chopped off the tips of Charlie's fingers with a hatchet he'd brought, both done to prevent identification, both things he'd learned from true crime magazines. Oh, I see. And finally, he dumped the body off a small, isolated bridge and drove home, throwing fingers and teeth out the window as he went. Like Lorena Bobbitt? What <laughs> yes. is going on here? Yes, yes, like it's confetti for a, a celebratory parade in Halloween Town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard later told Philip Carlo that this was the first time in his life that he felt like a person who merited respect. Wow. He was 13 years old. What? 13? 13? What? Years old. He was over six feet tall. He knew to knock the teeth out of a person's <laughs> mouth and to chop the fingers off of the... Th- I remember not wanting to go to the bottom of the trash bin. Like, I right. remember my mom called me a wussy because I didn't want to go to the bottom of the trash bin and get some of the bunch of stuff. I was like, eh, it's gross. It is gross. He dismembered a body. <laughs> okay. 
But so now, yes, he's full Pansram. Oh, he's right. full. He's full. He's full. Oh pansram. yeah. But now, Marcus, you said earlier that he was a late bloomer. Uh-huh. Are we talking? He's killed more than he has pubes. Like, are we talking pubeless, prepubescent, thirteen years old, cutting fingers off? No, if he's if he's truly Polish, she is completely covered with hair. I don't know. No, I mean, late bloomers and like he wasn't big. Oh, he, like wasn't he, he wasn't like a big, see. big dude. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And to drive the point home that he needed to be left alone, the next day, he took a two-by-four and beat every other member of Charlie Lane's gang, and they never bodied, bothered him again. And we know this happened. Charlie yeah. Lane was reported missing. Wow. Nobody ever knew what happened to Charlie Lane, but nobody even came close to thinking that skinny little Richard Kuklinski was capable of such a thing. Man, I do well, kind of wish that Ben, the character from It, would have done this. <laughs> When it yes. comes to that guy being such a mean uh, person to him. Yeah, but they he got a reputation then, and then yeah. he started learning, which is what's what he will use the rest of his life, is that when you come at somebody ten times harder than when they come at you, you gain this, like, they're now scared of you. Yeah. Right. Because what it is is, to put my psychiatrist cap on, Uh-oh. is that he is taking power back. Again, he grew up his whole life with no power. He was subject totally to the abuse and the whims of his parents and to everyone around him. So now what he's going to do is being like, you're going to think about me what I want you to think about me, which means instead of calling me, you may be calling me the dumb Pollock, but it's not going to be dumb. Pollock scaring me all the time. <laughs> like you're gonna, it's, that's what you want. Okay, interesting. Because yeah. after that, he found a baseball bat, and he started going around Jersey City and beating the fuck out of anyone who had wronged him in the past. Wow. And when the bat became too cumbersome, he started carrying around a hunting knife, and he'd Oof. slash the face of anyone who crossed him. Yikes. And of course, none of this behavior was conducive to the school system. No. So Richard dropped out and got his education in pool halls and bars. Okay. He loved pool. Loved pool. Really? Expert pool player. Very good at it, huh? Very, very good. Yeah, because wow. he was playing pool every day from the time he was 13. The, the hustler. He would go and just hang out in pool halls and no one said anything to him because right. he was scary to adults. Yeah. <laughs> like he was this little kid who'd been like, give me the give me the cue balls. It's my time to start playing pool. You know, like, dumb little pull out kids scaring me for going to pool. Fucking okay, all right, okay, here you go. Here's a pool cue. And it, ding, 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 ding. He was great at it. And those pool halls, that's where Richard bought his very first gun. A oh. 38 special with a six-inch barrel. And eventually, for the first time in his life, Richard started making friends. Oh, yeah. Okay. And pretty soon, he had his very own little gang, about five oh, guys. Oh, that's nice. It's little wise guys. Yeah. It's cute. Yeah, little they, funny, cute little wise guys. Yeah, they called themselves the Coming Up Roses game. But... <laughs> Because anyone who fucked with him would end up as fucking plant fertilizer. Oh, Jack, I thought you fucking went to smile on the face. Coming up roses, everything's coming up roses. Like, but also, it had the other, it had the other connotation as well. Coming up roses, because they said that they knew that their future, as long as they stuck together, their future would be bright. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what would happen? What? You'll see. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and to commemorate the gang, each one of them got a scroll tattooed on their left hand with the gang's name written on it, which is much scarier than the goofy, stupid, fucking Grim Reaper tattoo they show in the Iceman. So they got Iceman. <laughs> so it was C U R. That's what they got. No, they coming up roses. They actually had coming up roses. They were able tattooed. to write all of that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it yeah. probably wasn't very good. No. That's not what it was about. And if you made fun of their fucking tattoo, I'm not. You trying to make fun of these no. little wise guys' tattoo? I like their tattoo. 
Now, by this time, Richard Kuklinski had developed a reputation around town as a guy who'd beat you just as soon as look at you. But there were still some people who hadn't gotten the message just yet. One of these, and one of these people, was an Irish city cop named Doyle who played pool in a Hoboken bar called Danny's. I he mean, was also in West Side Story, and he yeah. was also in every other movie in the 1950s, because there's always one with a W.C. Fields nose right. and a slightly crooked hat. It's being like, ha, oh, I tell you, Richie, it's been a time or two since I played pool, swinging his fucking, like, baton around. Yeah, it's like when he was born, the doctor gave him to his mother and was just like, Mrs. Whoever, you've got yourself a cliche. <laughs> that is, it's always Doyle. There's no it's other. Always Doyle. Doyle. always Doyle. Doyle. It's Doyle's way or it's the highway. I tell you what, if you want to take the highway, speed limit's 55. If you're not driving 55, you better be seeing me eager, because if you're not, oh, you're going to get a ticket there. Oh, no. So one night, Richard was playing pool against Doyle, and Richard was beating Doyle again and again and again. Mm. And the more Richard won, the more names Doyle called Richard. You know, cheater and, of course, dumb Pollock. Oh, no. Now, Doyle might have gotten away with just a beating had it not been for one thing. He looked strikingly like Richard's father. And the one thing you don't really want to do around Richie is to look like his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Because he didn't... uh... He didn't really enjoy his father. Yeah. yeah. To the point where he, um, I mean, he also never called him his father. He called him Stanley. Yeah. And so Richard went outside and waited. And after a while, Doyle came out, got in his car, lit a cigarette, and passed out with the driver's side window open. Different times. It was. Different times. Yes. He's, this is the cop, by the way. Yes. Yeah. 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 This is the he cop. Didn't yeah. He oh, didn't okay. drive. Yeah. He didn't drive. Yeah. He didn't drive. And speaking of which, you know, like, Richard could have easily just slit this guy's throat. Mm-hmm. But. The guy was a cop. He knew Richard knew this the crime was gonna be investigated and he knew that he'd be the first suspect because the two had just had a very public fight inside Danny's bar. Yeah, and if you take out this officer Doyle, there's only a hundred officer Doyles <laughs> left. So Because Irish families reproduce in packs of thirteen. <laughs> By law. But instead of going smaller, Richard went over the top with this one. He went to a nearby gas station, bought a quart of gas poured it on Doyle, threw in a lit match, and stood nearby so he could hear Doyle scream and smell Doyle's flesh as he burned to death. Wow. This happened. I will tell you this. There's almost nothing worse than hearing an Irishman scream while he's on fire. (laughs) I agree with that. It's piercing. (laughs) You know, but he shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. So is this now, is this the second uh, kill? This is the second confirmed? This is his first premeditated murder. This is the one, this is the first one when he decides. Oh, he didn't mean to kill the guy the first He didn't mean to kill the other kid. No, no, no. He just went too far. But this is the first one that he thought, I'm going to murder this man. He was 16. 16 years old. Because also... (sighs) This cop was playing. Also, that's the other thing. This is the cop was playing competitive pool. Full grown cop playing competitive pool against a sixteen year old in a bar, and no one said anything. No, because he's drinking too. He's sixteen and fucking drinking, and he's in there just fucking. Everybody's illegal. (laughs) Very weird. Yes, very strange. (laughs) Yeah, but sixteen was still old enough to run a fairly successful street gang in Jersey City. Uh, coming up, Rose's gang broke into warehouses, robbed liquor stores, and burgled the nicer homes in town. Hmm. And Richard seemed to be inviting violence more and more. Because, as we said, 
Richard Kuklinski, he's your size. And he had been well, a pretty We don't thin- have to clarify that every time well, we talk uh, about his size. He's your but- size. It's important for people to understand he's a big guy. It's scale because people have seen pictures of the three of us together. Yes, okay. They, they know the differences in our heights. Right. So, yeah, he's your size. So, he's hairy like Henry and he's my size. Yes. yes he's, he's big. Yeah, he's, no hair up top. Yeah, no hair up top. Uh, and, but, and as you know, Big guy, you kind of stand out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Richard mm. made himself stand out even more by wearing bright yellow and pink suits. And he'd oh. wear them every time he went to these sleazy New Jersey pool halls and bars. All right. You know what it was? I'll actually, I, I get it for uh, why he did it. Because a part of it was the way that they described it in the book is that he grew up with like threadbare clothing. They had nothing. They, uh, they, he had to steal food for the family. So as soon as he started earning money, he wanted to look like a big shot. At right. the time, he'd go and buy the fanciest clothes that he could buy because number one, he wanted to look good. Right. He wanted to show everybody that he can afford it. And also what you were saying, Marcus, which is the... I dare you to say, tell me something about my suit. <laughs> right, right, right. What was that? You think I look like Big Bird? And the guy's like, I didn't say anything, sir. It's like, I think I heard you think that I look like Big Bird. And he's just yeah. like, no, sir. Yeah. No, sir. Yeah. And he just ties him in a fucking knot like he's Shrek. Well, that's the thing. When you're very big, people are always coming up to you and yelling at you and talking to you. Big guy. You can use that as an opportunity to speak with them, though, and you can win hearts and minds that way. I, I guess you could have win a heart and mind, but now Richard Kuklinski, you just slashed him across the face he, with this combat He knife. did the opposite of that. But. Well, Kissel, maybe you should start doing it the other way. Maybe you could get more votes if you do more stuff like... It's more like grabbing people by their shirt and showing them how big your hands are. Right, like, right. Like petting their hair a lot and like being like, what's in your pockets? And they really can't do anything because right. you're just sticking your hands in their pockets. Mm-hmm. So since the Roses were pulling off so many jobs without getting caught, they were eventually noticed by the De Cavalcanti crime family. De Cavalcanti. De Cavalcanti. Uh-oh. And were recruited by a member named Carmen Genovese, okay. a.k.a. Meatball. Who's my oh, size? It's a lot easier. It's a yeah, lot so easier to call him Meatball. Yeah, because he had. A, they said he had a head that looked like a big meatball, so they called yeah. him Meatball. Yeah, it was not a creative nickname. <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> and he wasn't one of the like New York crime family Genoveses. Like he was. Uh, yeah, he wasn't related to them at all. Oh, I love it. Why did you guys call me Meatball? Your face looks like a meatball. Oh. Ah, okay. That actually makes a lot of sense. Because for me, if I looked at myself, they'd be more like Mr. Yarn. He's Yarn Man. He's a man made out of yarn. But also, I just run criminal enterprises. I don't give myself nicknames to other people any sort of creative names. All right. So we got the Aqua Teen Hunger Force of Mafia families going out there. They're recruited. Everything's coming up roses. So, So Meatball brought the gang to his house one afternoon, made them a big spaghetti, and gave them their very first contract killing. Now, this was a big deal for the Roses, as they'd been trying to find their way into organized crime for a while. Hmm. It's strange for him, for an older man to bring... I mean, honestly, then we say older man, but we don't realize that people just had to work much harder earlier in the 50s than now. Right. So, you could be 23 and be like a made man and be called Meatball and look like you're 47. Yeah, because sure. Because it's 1955 and everybody looks like that. So, he bring it in there, he's making the spaghetti, and he's got a bunch of 16-year-olds just hanging out in his fucking living room, and he's like, I was thinking... Maybe this is kind of way out of line or something. But I think you four children would be great at murder. It's <laughs> like a weird little rascal situation. Well, the only problem was is that Richard and two of the other guys in the Coming Up Roses gang were Polish. 
Oh. And another one. That's not good. And another one was Irish. Oh. Only one of them were Italian. That means that he was the only one who could have possibly become a made man. Oh. The closest that you could get is a is a position called the Giovanni di Anre, which is means that a mafia associate. Yeah. Which is like somebody it's a, so you could be a side guy. Right. But you can't be a made guy. Because you got to be in the family. Now, and that's a part of also, too. I think that Clinton's got an immigrant sort of mentality. Right. It's like, I got to be what I got to be harder than everybody else because I'm Polish in an Italian world. Well, I mean, couldn't you do like, you know, regatoni, eat or raviolis? Like, just <laughs> like, can you convert to being Italian? Nope. You got to no. be born. You got to be born. You got to huh? be born. It's not like Catholicism. Can't huh? even marry into it. You can't marry into no, it. You got to no. be Italian. Oh. Yeah, it's an Italian thing, baby. Like those shirts that you get in Staten Island. Yeah, I didn't realize it was. Well, <laughs> no. kind of puts a new meaning on that. Yeah, I mean, the best these guys could hope for, independent contractors. Oh, that was okay. essentially what it was. So, yeah. hoping to get into the big money game, the gang, they took the murder contract that oh. Meatball had just put right up in front of them. So, they piled into Richard's car, and they went hunting. And the guy who they thought was the toughest dude, John Wheeler, was supposed to pull the trigger. But once they found the mark at a bar in Hoboken, Wheeler froze and couldn't get his hands to stop shaking. Hmm. And so Richard just said, I'll do it. So he grabbed the gun from Wheeler, walked up to the mark in the bar's parking lot, put the gun to his head, pulled the trigger, and walked back to the car without a change in expression. And after they'd driven a few blocks, Wheeler turned to Richie and said, Man, Rich, you're cold like ice. And that's why we all think we should call you, okay, Daddy Ice Buckets. <laughs> <laughs> I like that name. Wow. Well, that's how the nickname Iceman was born. And oh, Richard, Iceman. 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 I think Iceman is better. Iceman. Yeah. And Richard, he found that he really, really liked being called that. And he sure. liked, well, he just liked getting an attaboy. He, he right. loved the adulation that he got for murdering someone. Yeah, and when the, and again, it is a cool nickname. It's a great nickname. Uh, but then no one should be a contract killer. Yeah. And when they returned to Meatball, boys were all poured drinks. They each got 500 bucks. And wow. Richard Kuklinski was officially in the world of organized crime. So 1950. Manano. <laughs> hey, hey It's nice. So <laughs> Make nice. him a cake. It's well, a nice. That's a lot of money, isn't it? 500 bucks each uh, in, the, in the 50s? In the 50s, yeah. Probably that's like a good two, amount of cash. Two grand. And it's a big like deal. Do you ever notice in Williamsburg, and they don't do it as much anymore, but I remember when I first moved there, because Williamsburg, where were, we lived for many years, oh, yes. that was like the epicenter for a lot of mob activity yeah. Yeah. for quite a period of time. That's where the movie Serpico takes place, like all of that shit, Donnie, uh, Donnie Brasco, yeah, all of that's there. Graham Avenue. I think Kings of New York as well. But they used to do a thing, and I don't know if they do it as much anymore, where they, uh, they would put up a sign... That said, like, congratulations to Mario and and Luigi. <laughs> that, uh, they, that was like, they would do their, like, commemoration ceremony where they have their big party where they became made men. And they'd just tell the neighborhood that they were having the party. And they are, and they are only allowed to be made men after they murder someone? Yeah, you got to make your bones. Yeah, that's ah. what they call it. They say you get, you're making your bones. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You know what? Uh, Williamsburg, also the L-Train, the Warriors... 
That movie took place on the L train. And I, I watched that movie recently. They're very tiny and weak. They, they actually look a lot like the people in Williamsburg now. They filmed it on the L train? <laughs> they did. It, it takes place on the L train. No, much it doesn't. Of it. Yes, it does. No. The warriors take the L. Absolutely they go to, not. No, they're bopping down to Coney. They're bopping, down, they're bopping they from Bronx down, down to Coney Island, which was north to south. And the Marcus L only Parks. runs east-west. Marcus Parks. I've seen, I, the, I've seen the warriors more times than I can count. How, 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 how high can you count? <laughs> <laughs> no, the L train. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Henry wins. <laughs> so, now I, no, I'm pretty sure they took the L train. No. Well, we'll just agree to disagree and we'll Google after the show. <laughs> and we'll see if I'm right, this will stay in. And if I'm, if I'm not, you'll never know it was edited out. <laughs> <laughs> so, now that these boys had made their bones, Meatball started throwing a lot of work over to the Roses. And it wasn't just small-time stuff, either. These teenagers managed to hijack an armored car. What? They netted $2 million in currency and gold. And they got $200,000 each. Wow. But every single bit of Richard's share was pissed away on gambling. Ah. Because Richard... He loved it. Oh, he loved it. He had a lifelong gambling problem. Mm. And because his gambling problem was so bad, he always needed money. But as soon as he got that money, he'd ho- head over to an illegal gambling game, like a back room somewhere, or he'd go to Atlantic City, or he'd go to Vegas. And Vegas, that was his favorite because that's where Liberace played. And oh. Liberace was his favorite entertainer. You know, yep. it's always the psychopaths that like the most effeminate musicians. <laughs> always. I don't know because why that is. It's the way they can express something close to sensitivity. Sure. Like you could go and sway and listen to Liberace and you're like, this is class. <laughs> and also, the guy was very much about, like, if you look at Liberace's, like, his modus of operandi is that he liked being flashy. Mm-hmm. It was about mm. him showing off his money. So at the time, it was very, like, it was. I would say it's similar to the a gangster rap where you'd go and you'd listen to public, somebody bragging about how much money he had. Right. I got to say, man, the, the balls on the people that beat him at poker or <laughs> anything, I cannot imagine. I would just let him win, I think. Actually, he never... Uh, lost his temper over a car game That's or gambling or anything me. like that. No, no he, he because he had uh, rules. He he knew what was fair. Okay. He also liked the game. He was also playing with other mobsters and he knew often oh, sure. what you're going to learn that you don't fucking shit where you eat. Right. Because it's really it's a really bad idea because that's how you get enemies that can kill you. Right, yeah. right. Okay. Because the coming up Roses gang actually fucked up on that. Two members decided it would be a good idea to rob a card game Uh sponsored by a made man from the same family where the boys worked. Now, even though both of them were hiding their faces with bandanas, they worked with these dudes. So they were easily made. Yeah, dude. They were kids. Yeah. They were also just children. So it's like a bunch of grown men watching these two kids stick them up and they're all just like, okay, you really want this money? Like, you want me to give you my money? Because then it's officially a robbery. You know that, right? And they'd give them the money, and then they'd leave, and they're like, "Uh, now we gotta fucking do something about this. Oh my, they'll never recognize us with these. I got these glasses, and they have a fake nose and a mustache on them. (laughs) They're never gonna recognize us. (laughs) Oh, it's Groucho! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, a D. Cavalcante soldier, uh, he knew Richard was in charge of these guys, and the thing was, is that, like, Richard had the respect of these mob dudes, even from a young age. Okay. Uh, so they figured they should go and talk to Richard. Okay. They figured, hey, this is your problem. You got to clean this up. All right. It's kind of like, I honestly, I have a weird inner, like my inner thoughts 
are that they knew that he was the only one who was truly serious about it. Yeah. I think that they knew that he was the one who really could make it, and he saw the rest of them as a bunch of drips. It's kind of mm. like how this CIA hired me instead of hiring you two guys. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, my God. It's an interesting, strange reveal. Oh, my God. What have I done? How much, how much acid have they given you for free? <laughs> So the mob gave uh, Richard two choices. Kill your friends or we're going to kill you. Oh, okay. Now, these were Richard's first and only friends in life. Yeah. But on the other hand, these guys had fucked up. And furthermore, they had broken one of Richard's rules. Mm. Don't steal from the mob. Right. I think it's a good rule for everyone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I would say just don't, hey, if you meet a mob member, don't steal from him. Or any organized crime organization. I'm going to say, or anyone, or any organization at all. That's nice. And so Richard decided his friends had to go. Both friends were found and popped in the head before either one knew what was happening. Wow. And after that, the rest of the Coming Up Roses gang decided they didn't want to hang out with Richard anymore. Yeah. (gasps) Why? Yeah. That's when you kind of slowly walk out. And with these two murders, Kuklinski had killed five people, including two of his best friends, when the rest of us were just graduating high school. Wow. And it was only about to get worse from there. Hey, what's going on, guys? Henry Zabrowski here for 23andMe. 23andMe is the leader in direct-to-consumer DNA testing, and they get their name for the 23 pairs of chromosomes that make up our DNA. Huh. Mine said I only had 22. I really enjoyed getting my Ancestry service kit. I found out I'm 2% Japanese, and that required two tablespoons of my spit. And that's the nicest anyone's ever been from receiving my spit. There are nearly 7.5 billion people on the planet, but there is nobody quite like you. 23andMe can help you learn how your DNA connects you to far-flung parts of the world. The 23andMe Ancestry service allows you to... See how your DNA breaks out across 150 plus regions worldwide. Trace parts of your ancestry to a specific group of individuals from a thousand years ago and discover how much Neanderthal DNA you've inherited. You can tell by the eyebrows. You can even opt into DNA relatives to connect with people who share DNA with you, like murderers. The 23andMe Health Service allows you to discover how your DNA influences how your face looks, how you taste food, your ability to smell certain odors. I will say, it didn't tell me why my body is the way it is. This service can even show how genetics may influence your weight, sleep patterns, the way you digest dairy, the amount of caffeine you consume, and a whole bunch more. Now through August 9th, take advantage of the summer sale and save 30%. Order your 23andMe Health Plus Ancestry Service Kit at 23andMe.com slash left. Again, that number is 23andMe.com slash L-E-F-T. So now that Richard's gang was disbanded, he was once again alone. And according to Philip Carlo, and I didn't know this, hmm. Polish people have a penchant for walking. What? Uh, I will tell you, it's how I originally lost all of my weight. I walked for six hours a day up and down the streets of Toronto, but I do believe that it was also out of out of rage and guilt and sadness, right. which is also... <laughs> 
the Polish have a penchant for. Now, but I don't want to. I don't want to be like Mr. Roast Mode. But is it possible it's because they don't know how to drive? It is possible. <laughs> okay. that there is a Polish joke in there. But also, if they ask him all the time, to be like, "How did he get so big?" And they're like, "You know, Philip Carlos." Be like, "Saudi exercise with weights or something." And Richie said, um, "The only exercise I ever did was lifting dead bodies." And you're oh. like, "Oh, that's a funny." That's a funny tagline there. <laughs> <laughs> the world's strongest and scariest man. So, in order to get his walking in, mm. Richard took to taking the ferry to Manhattan and walking up and down the west side. <laughs> What's your main form of exercise? Brooding. It's mostly brooding. <laughs> yeah, that's like the guy from The Cure. That's how. But then he stopped. Once he got the money, he stopped being sad. And that's why he got all fat. Yeah. I like that. So this is the point in the story where the argument for Richard Kuklinski being a serial killer can truly start to be made. Okay. And it all started with one angry bum. Richard said he was minding his own business when a homeless guy demanded money. Richard kept walking, but the bum got aggressive and grabbed Richard on the shoulder. And in response, Richard turned around, whipped out his combat knife, and quickly stabbed the bum twice in the chest Ooh. and kept walking. And once Richard reached the Battery Tunnel in southern Manhattan, he turned around and walked back north, right by the homeless guy's corpse. And Richard found that he liked seeing the guy lay there, dead oh, by man. his hand specifically. He's really liking the worst parts of his life? Like <laughs> yes. the things that like everyone else would be sort of like, don't feel good about that? Yes. He liked power. I feel like that's at the end. We're going to see this here, where the idea of someone being rendered dead is that I guess we'll find out. It's like he didn't really get sexual pleasure out of murdering, but he definitely loved the idea of uh, I I can control whether you live or die. Mm -hmm. And after that incident, Richard regularly went to Manhattan, just begging for homeless people to accost him in some way. Well, it's just him literally walking down the street with a yellow suit on, going like. <laughs> like swinging his arms back and forth, being like, "Did I hit you? You want to fucking hit me? I got money." He's got like a dollar bill hanging out of his fly. Right. Being like, "Come and get it! Come and get it! I'm a big dumb Pollock, big dumb Pollock, looking to get robbed." So he's honey potting the people without the homes. Yep. And once a homeless guy did accost him, Richard would either stab or bludgeon them to death, either leaving the bodies on the ground or cutting the stomachs open and dumping them in the Hudson River so they'd sink to the bottom. <sighs> Man. But just, where where is everyone? Like, it, it, this, like, is, the, this is back in the day. Yeah, this, this is back is in, in the, the day. This is in the 50s. So, okay. like, a lot of, and at night, a lot of the west side of Manhattan, it's not like it is now. Like, yeah. 10th Avenue was fucking deserted. Well, it still night. is, even a little bit now, yeah. Yeah. And every time Richard got pissed off enough to kill, he'd make this little clicking noise with his mouth. <sighs> and this was a lifelong habit. And if you heard that sound... That meant violence was coming soon after. Hmm. In the case of his future wife, it was a beating. And in the case of everyone else, it meant you were about to die. Now, interestingly, this sound was actually captured in the first HBO documentary Richard did. Hmm. Now, it's pretty faint, but listen and see if you can hear it. Are there any murders that you committed that that haunt you, that you just sort of, you feel and you... Nothing haunts me. No murders haunt me. Do you hear it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of hear it. I heard it. <laughs> he sort of sounds like the guy from Uncle Buck who had the toothpick at the bowling alley. <laughs> I think his name was Pal or something. 
This whole thing is that he talks real low, real slow. She can hear every word. This big Polish mouth can make his tiny Polish teeth <laughs> clicking together. But he would do this face too, where he'd it's snarl gross. like yeah. in, in the dock, where he'd like his he'd like pull his top lip back and he'd snarl and he'd like get these little like he'd travel between extremely bored and like uh-huh. momentarily enraged. But you can't really tell the difference because he wouldn't modulate his voice. It was always like this. Every single time you talk about something, it's just slow, patient. He's horrified. He had to be haunted by some of this stuff. He just had he, to be. He was. I don't know. I yeah, actually I don't know. I don't think he was. I don't think he was at all. Because <sighs> we're because we're gonna uh, talk in the next episode about some things that he did to try to make himself feel something, uh-huh. uh, and it had. A tiny effect on him. Okay. He would have to game his own brain. He would have to sit, and that's what he, he would make his crimes more heinous to see if he could feel things. Yeah. That's so strange. Now, the reason why Richard made the sound in that interview is because he later said that he fucking hated the guy who was interviewing him because he felt like that question in specifically, or like that question specifically, the do any murders right. haunt you, he thought it was judgmental. And he said, I didn't do this interview to be judged. So he doesn't, he's sensitive. <laughs> he's a very sensitive guy in a strange way then. Yeah, you go tell him he's sensitive, Kissel. No, I'm, That's I'm a problem. With it. You go tell him. Go tell him he's being too sensitive. Yeah, and plus, what Richard hadn't been told when he agreed to the interview was that the guy had brought along law enforcement to listen in on the conversations. I mean, he's uh, in jail. Yeah, he's he's in jail, but he wasn't told that law enforcement was involved in this. Hmm. And Richard figured it out halfway through the interview because there was a cord running from the recording machine under the next door to the next room. So, okay, guys, I got a couple of Dixie Cups. We're going to put these to the window, put our ears to the Dixie Cups. (laughs) We're going to be able to hear everything. That is ridiculous. The law enforcement, they make such stupid mistakes sometimes. Sometimes. and it was years before that interviewer found out that he was just a hair away from being murdered on camera by Richard Kuklinski. Jeez. He almost did it. But as per Richard's burgeoning murder career in the 50s went, he started treating the west side of Manhattan like a finishing school for killing. He was constantly experimenting, seeing what the fastest and most efficient ways of killing someone actually were. Eventually, he found that stabbing someone in the back of the head into the brain straight up worked best and produced the Mm. least amount of blood. Jeez. But he he didn't just stab and bludgeon. He strangled guys, too. This is him talking about his strangulation method. I actually did it in a way that's maybe, maybe this is original. And maybe not, I don't know. But I uh, put the rope around his neck, twisted it, and threw him over my shoulder. And held him there. So actually, he, I was the tree hanging him. Yeah. And he eventually just stopped kicking. I mean, it's like I'm trying something original. It's a cronut. It's a croissant <laughs> and a donut. It's like, what are you, like, what is it? What, what was that? For? Like, maybe this is original. Maybe, maybe it's not. not. What's he talking about? Like, Well, they've been plumbing him, asking him about what he would do. And so he honestly, at some point, is kind of like, I don't want to disappoint these people. Right. Everyone wants the fucking Iceman show. And so he starts talking about all of this shit. And yeah, I mean, if you're big enough to do the tree, then you can do the tree. Mm-hmm. If you're big and strong enough to do the tree, 
that's what people could do. And it's kind of like the Razor's Edge by Mr. Ramon. Mr. Razor, Ooh, Razor yeah. Ramon. Only a man of that height and strength can get a man up that high and do the Razor's Edge. Right, right. Great finisher. Then Kuklinski started experimenting with ice picks, finding that if you practiced enough, you could get pretty good at getting it right into the eyeball or into the ear canal, and that would give you an instant kill. So this is, he's really leaning in here. This is a little punny. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting a little bit punny with his character. Well, Nice Man, he, it didn't fully take hold until later on. The yeah. nickname Iceman took, it, like, it was with his friends and some people they would call him that but it wasn't until later when he figured out a new way of disposing bodies okay. that the Iceman became his true nickname and by the way the whole Iceman thing blown way out of proportion the media yes. blew something out of proportion yeah 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 uh, the, no the way media, yeah no way but yeah they, they blew the whole Iceman body disposal thing way 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 out of proportion mm-hmm. And all this time, when Richard Kuklinski was murdering dudes in the west side of Manhattan, the cops thought that the bums had just gone crazy and were killing each other. Can you imagine how crazy that would have been? Just a bunch of <laughs> bums stabbing each other in the eyes with spins and shit? It's, also, it's just the, way, the easiest way to get out of police work. They've gone nuts. <laughs> What's your official conclusion, Officer Doyle? They're crazy. Uh, it's cats and dogs out there. <laughs> and that's the only thing I'll say about it further. Good no, it's Lord. my father. It's my father as a police officer. <laughs> now, at this point, my dad was just a plumber. Oh, he was no, just a plumber. Po- okay. At this point, he was just a plumber. My dad came, became a cop in the 70s. And it's like he was more of a... Because this is like 60s, early 60s. This is when he was coming up. When my dad was coming up, he was just in motorcycle gangs and fucking. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you'd think that cops would notice that the entire west side of Manhattan was just littered with dead bodies. Yeah. But back then, back in this time, because this was a, a, still about like the late mid to late 50s, there were no citywide murder statistics kept at all. And precincts didn't talk to each other at all. Hmm. So they didn't know the scope of the murders. Precincts in Man- Manhattan is like six miles. They still didn't. Your precinct just... Throw throw a rock, like <laughs> everything is so close. I can't. That is the dumbest thing. The ego of the cops, the yeah. CIA, and the FBI obviously used to do it too. They're not talking to each other is so juvenile. Mm. And then Richard started preying on another section of the population that has long been the target of the serial killer: gay men. Mm. However, Richard said he didn't kill them specifically because they were gay. He killed them because he knew cops wouldn't investigate the murders. In fact, it's kind of weird how much this man, who killed up to 200 people, wanted to make sure that people knew that he was totally cool with gay people. He said it like three times in the doc, where he's just like, (laughs) I'm not disparaging the gays. I'm just disparaging anything with the pulse <laughs> yeah anything that's alive okay well i mean i guess that uh, he he understands yeah that, he's that's like no there's nothing wrong with being gay there's nothing wrong with being gay at all right yeah, yeah. No, he's it's like actually now you're whole- gonna have a lot of people all mad at me because i'm saying bad things about gay people and you're like no man we're we're scared of you because you killed 200 people ice man <laughs> yeah all right well I'll, I'll take him at his word then So this target group became clear to Richard as he was hanging out in a gay bar one night just looking for a drink. Guys started hitting on him, Richard declined, and the guy followed him outside. Eventually, Richard lost his temper, picked up a loose cobblestone, and smashed the dude's head so hard that his brain matter flew out and stuck to a store window. Jeez. 
And Manhattan was not Richard's only killing ground. This was done in Newark and Hoboken as well. But even though Richard had no friends, he wasn't completely alone. By this point, Richard had been dating an older woman named Linda for years. My mother is named Linda. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Richard, like his father, had been beating Linda this entire time. Once Richard reached his 20s, Linda became pregnant. Now, Richard tried to make her lose the baby by punching her in the stomach, but when that didn't work, he married her instead. Quote, for the kid's sake. Oh, she got a promotion. That's <laughs> so nice. She's so lucky. She got Jeez. to have a whole husband. That's incredible. Eventually, they would have two kids together. And Richard said he never loved any of them. But like we said earlier, they didn't know how lucky they were that he didn't love them. Okay, this is the first family, huh? Yeah. Meanwhile, the mob hits just kept coming from Meatball, and the mob hits started to get more elaborate. Richard's first important job was a used car salesman who had done something, quote, very disrespectful to a mob guy's wife. Listen, it's a weird thing, okay? But he went in there, she was doing a test drive in a new Buick, and not to mince any words, and under no uncertain circumstances, he fought it on her. <laughs> Oh, Very no. disrespectful. No reason to do that. No reason to fart on a man's wife. No reason to fart on a man. Oh, you know what I mean? So this guy, he's got to go. He's got to go. Now, the request was that the guy should suffer, then disappear. And to prove that the mark suffered, Richard needed to bring back a piece of the guy. And in a dramatization, Carlo wrote, Richard asked, how big of a piece? To which Meatball replied, not so big. Maybe like uh, his hand, uh, I don't know, some toes. Okay, uh, something fun. <laughs> something, something nice. I, I don't know, something I mean, you cut it. I mean, deal's choice. Freestyle, <laughs> deal's like always. Choice. Oh my, that's not good. Now, Richard said that he never particularly enjoyed the act of killing itself to the point where he almost had a catchphrase about it. He's, he'd always say this. I never felt one way or the other. And what Richard, yeah, when they asked it him, It should like, be coming up roses. <laughs> yeah, everything's coming up. No, man, he killed his friends. Yeah. But they, they, all right. It's a bad memory for him. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Now, what Richard really enjoyed was the stalking. And in this, you could make a case for Richard Kuklinski being a serial killer. If this is true, then that would help the argument that Kuklinski was a process killer, meaning that it was everything leading up to the actual kill that gave him pleasure. Hmm. But what sets Kuklinski apart from the others is that he never got a sexual charge from any of his murders, or at least never admitted to one. Hmm. The only thing that got him hot was when a complicated hit went particularly well. It was a job well done that made Richard horny. I really do believe it's more of a weird immigrant's pride. (laughs) He looked at it like he wanted to do a really good job. He wanted to be the best of the best. It's very strange. It's more of a a mechanization of murder. It's more of like he he figured out how to make a living off of it. He figured out a way to... To make like he gamed the world by running what he felt thought was like the ultimate scam. It's like because it's easy for him because he didn't feel anything. So he makes all of he makes a fuck ton of money killing people. 
but then I mean he has to like like the psychopath because I mean, he obviously has some form of, like the antisocial personality disorder right. means he gets bored easily. So a part of it is making interior games to make it interesting for himself. So it's like okay, so he's happy with the job well done. Mm-hmm. He's all alone. There's no team. Does he just dump the Gatorade bucket on his own head? <laughs> like how does every what time kind of celebration yeah. is this? He gets an attaboy from the from, 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 own, me, from meatball from meatball. From okay, meatball, yeah. meatball says yeah. attaboy. Good job. But okay. then he goes and he spends a bunch of money gambling, and then he uh, plays pool, and then he drinks six or seven Boilermakers. And uh, never sleeps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he said the only thing that gave him an adrenaline rush was just regular old boring sex. Like, he just, he was apparently, like, very... They said he had a huge dick, though. Okay. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> oh, he's I'm a so big happy man. that we were able to reference the size of the man's penis. It's officially the last podcast on the left and not another true crime show now. Okay, great. Good good thing to... Cl- way to clear that one up. <laughs> Well, okay, so the sexual charge thing, the lack of sexual charge, okay, that tells you that he doesn't fit into the two biggest of the four categories of serial killer. He's not power control, nor is he hedonistic, both of which are rooted in sexual desire, nor does he fit into the categories of the missionary killer or the visionary killer, meaning he wasn't crazy. This right here, actually, we have what Richard thought about himself. Did you think of yourself as an assassin? Assassin? Sounds so exotic. <laughs> I was just a murderer. Wow. It's just the way he can, because it's unironic the way he does it. Yeah. Where he goes like, an assassin. <laughs> you make us sound so exotic. And then, <laughs> like he does that little laugh, and then it just drops. Yeah. Right, like, right. Yeah. I'm At just his- a murderer. It's really horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at his core, he's. A lot like Carl Panzram. He's a yeah. criminal who liked killing. Mm-hmm. However, when Richard wanted, his killing methods could be just as cruel and vicious as a Ted Bundy or a Richard Ramirez, possibly even more so. Okay. Well, in the book, the first thing he says is that might makes right. He said yeah. that was the first thing to listen, which was also the Panzram motto. Yeah. And so I think a part of it is that I don't know if it's, again, I don't know if it's enjoying killing. And I don't know if it's the escalation is like his own personal, like his proclivity. I think it's, he felt life and and people were cruel. People are animals. Everybody's going to die one way or another. This is like every single time I up the ante of the violence of my crimes, I'm giving more of a big middle finger to the world that has given me nothing but pain and sorrow. And so it's, it is weirdly a missionary killer in a way, maybe. Mm, maybe, but that also to, but that's also this. This is part of the reason why a lot of people want to get rid of the whole like four category thing, mm, uh, because yes. so many times because it's too narrow. And right. how many times have we talked about a killer and we're like, well, he's mixed. You know, mm-hmm. he's both uh, controlled and uncontrolled. He's both hedonistic and a missionary killer. So, right. th- I mean, because really, we got to remember like the field of serial killer research is still pretty new. So, and I will say we are intersexual we are intersectional serial killer experts. So we believe that you can mix them all together. Sure, sure. Well, for an example of Richard's cruelty, let's take the used car dealer. Okay. Richard stalked him, knocked him out, bundled him into a trunk, and took him out to the Pine Barrens. And once there, he took the salesman out and tied him to a tree. 
Uh-oh. Richard then told the salesman that he'd been instructed to make him suffer. And it seemed like the guy knew exactly why he was there. I wasn't trying, trying to fart on her. I wasn't trying. It was an accident. I had a bunch of Brussels sprouts for breakfast. I didn't want to fart on her. I didn't want to. Man. Well, he did something wrong there. Now, Richard then took the blunt end of the hatchet and smashed the guy's knees and ankles oh. before chopping off his fingers one at a time. Well, the guy was alive? While he was alive. It's like the beginning. Yeah, the movie Dark Man, when he chops off the fingers with the cigar cutter. That's right. Dark Man. Brutal. That stuck with me for a long time for some reason. Yeah, okay. yeah I love them. I but love Dark Man. He didn't have to. He could have killed him and just like gotten a body. Like he really, no one was watching him is what yeah. I'm saying. You know, it's a weird kind of honesty, I think. <sighs> so I, I really think it's a weird kind of honesty is that he was told to do a job uh-huh. this particular way. And so he did the job his, this particular way. His moral compass is like a compass in like, what is it, the upside down world? It's just like all over the place. It's so weird. Yeah. Where is the upside down world? <laughs> I think that's in uh, I think that's Stranger, oh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Thank you, Stranger Things. So Richard, he was planning on just bringing back the fingers as proof of suffering. But after killing the guy, Richard got a better idea. Light bulb. <laughs> Yes, it's, yes, like a Wiley cartoon, Wiley Coyote yeah. cartoon. I don't remember this Wiley Coyote cartoon when he does this, but well, instead of just fingers, Koklinski took the hatchet, hacked off the guy's head, hmm. and brought it back to Meatball in a bag. And when Meatball saw the head, he smiled and paid Richard ten thousand dollars for a job well done. You know, I'll say, um, if I could just make a plaque for employee of the month. <laughs> I put you on it, Richie. But I know that that would identify you as a murderer. And also, um, this is very scary and highly unnecessary. Thank you for doing this, I guess. Um, here's $10,000. Don't do it to me. Is that okay to stop this? Oh, my God. All right, so he went above and beyond. Yeah, huh? and with that, Kuklinski became the go-to guy whenever someone needed an unnecessarily painful death. Oh, uh, my God. I don't know if anyone ever needs an unnecessarily painful death. Yeah. but Sometimes uh, they do, Kessel. I, I guess so. I guess so. And from then on, he was known only as the Polak. Oh, yeah, that's like Batman. You take the name of the thing that bothers you as your own name. And this would actually be a trend throughout his well, life. What's the uh, what's the symbol? What, what what light symbol do you throw up in the sky when you need the Polak? It's a fucking screen door on a submarine. <laughs> I'm needed. Oh, right. Yeah, the, the whole thing, like people not knowing his name, that would be something that Kuklinski would take throughout the rest of his life, and that's partly why he didn't get caught. Mm. was because people didn't know who he was. They didn't know where he lived. They didn't know he had a family. He's either known as uh, the Pollock. Uh, Sometimes they just called him Big Guy. Big Guy. Yeah. Love it. Love the Big Guy. Now, Kuklinski, after this, became Meatball's main collector and enforcer, making sure that anyone who owed Meatball money would pay up. Hmm. And those that didn't pay up died. Simple as that. But wow. even though Kuklinski was killing for money, he hadn't stopped his trips to Manhattan. And when he was asked by Carlo just how many of these murders he committed, Kuklinski said, quote, All the fingers on both your hands. Five times. Wow, now I gotta do math. Fifty. No it's 50. kid. <laughs> it's fifty. Wow. Jeez. Unless a... you're old eight fingered Tony. <laughs> I don't and know. then it's fucking forty. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Wow. But still, since these guys were mostly homeless, 
The cops didn't really give a fuck. Right. Meanwhile, the mob hits just kept getting weirder. Once, they asked Richard to kill a mob boss who was stealing from the family and shoved his credit cards up his ass. Well, that yeah. is not a per- that is not a wallet. <laughs> it's not a purse. Come That's on. what he's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Go make this guy go make this guy a pocketbook, Richie. And he's just like <laughs> All right. Laugh, 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 laugh. Serious face. Yeah. And right. Richard did so out in the Pine Barrens, but not before breaking the guy's arms, shoulders, collarbones, and ribs and finishing the job with a rock to the head. Jeez. He then shoved the credit cards up the guy's ass. Could have done without that. <laughs> rolled the guy in a tarp and dumped him in an abandoned lot in Bayonne just to make sure everyone got the message that you don't fuck with the D Cavalcantes. D Cavalcantes. You don't deal with these guys. I mean, in the end, my question is how, like, where did you get the idea to fuck with them in the first place? Yeah. I don't know. My God. We have a human ATM over here. This is, it's horrible stuff. And after that, Richard's <laughs> reputation spread. And pretty soon, he was working for other mob families as well. Hmm. But now he killed a mob boss, but that didn't go against his... He uh, killed no. a mob boss on behalf, on behalf of the other mob bosses. He'd do this again and again. Like, okay. and he, like We'll definitely find out in the last ep- next episode that when you needed a big job done, okay. you used Kuklinski. You called up yes. the Polak. Yeah, yeah. It's you like, let's Polak. give him the Mongo. It's that <laughs> Yeah, get <laughs> Mongo. <laughs> you know what it is, too? Is it, it's specifically because he didn't belong to any one of the families. The commission all had to get together all of the heads of the bosses had to get together and it had to be a three-fifths agreement to kill another one of the bosses they all had to do it and so that's the only person who could make a hit and then what's great by him is that he's an independent contractor so that he could just do it without worrying about repercussions from one of the other families and Wait. because the mob works with rules you can't fuck with him because essentially he's doing it for money just like everybody else they, mm-hmm. they took an up or down vote yeah i mean they need, you know what they should have? They need to have the filibuster. And the guy who was just like, guys, I know you want to kill me, but let me, let me speak. Let me speak. Well, some of Richard's hits were done quickly, same day, while others took weeks to find the target. But so Richard- this is the montage with like, taking care of business every day, where he's going and doing it. Like, yeah, he's getting up in the mob, new suits. Was that a scene in that Michael Shannon movie? No, there was, a, there was a montage scene, but it was him just killing a whole bunch of people. Oh. And they did show the tree very, very briefly in that montage scene. All right. Uh, but yeah, there was definitely a montage. Every mob movie has a mod, uh, has a montage. Well, you have to. Otherwise, how do you know time is passing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing, too, is that the reason why all these mob movies have montages is because mob stuff is horribly repetitive. Sure. Like, it's like doing the same shit over and over and over again until they get caught. That's what I always think when I think about mobs and all the murders. I'm like, mundane, (laughs) repetitive, (laughs) copy, paste, I get it, okay. Well, Richard, though, he always got his man, and the patience that he learned in always getting his man was applied to his personal murders as well. That would have been a great montage, just all all the times he's waiting. Yeah, 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 just sitting, hanging out, chewing gum, clicking, thinking about pierogies. Oh. See, in addition to being an antisocial personality, Richard also had paranoid personality disorder. This meant that Richard was essentially incapable of forgiveness. Any humiliation whatsoever demanded revenge. Mm. And for Kuklinski, revenge almost always meant murder. Case in point was a bouncer who was 
just doing his job. Kuklinski had gotten particularly drunk one night at a bar, so the bouncer threw him out. Mm-hmm. Now, Richard might have let it slide, but on the way out, the bouncer kicked him in the butt, Ugh. which Richard felt was unnecessary. Okay. Let's just go ahead and say, yes, it is unnecessary. Sure. It is unnecessary. But. You don't want to hide intentions but. to de-escalate. Yeah. So Richard waited for two days. Two days. There, two days. Sitting there, staring at the bouncer, watching his every movement, checking out all of his patterns, when people came in, when people came out. So finally, Richard mm-hmm. waited until just the right moment, got out of his car, hammer in hand, and hit the bouncer in the head with the hammer so hard that it stuck in the dude's skull. Fuck. Yeah, dude. But this has also made him swear off of drinking too hard. He blamed the drinking. Yeah. He was like, I'm drinking too much. I can't do this anymore. I get mad when I'm drunk and I can't do it. Like he had his safe bars where he'd have to go and be like, this is where I can't. This is my home bar. This is in Hoboken. I can't fuck around here because then where am I going to (laughs) drink? Right, right. (laughs) And by the time that murder happened, Richard estimated that he'd killed over 60 Five men. He was twenty-five years old. Twenty-five. Twenty-five. You can't have. You can't have over double your age in murders. That is. This is ridiculous. I'm gonna. If I was around him, I'd say this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. You need me while he's strangling you, and you're like, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. But unfortunately for Richard, Meatball, his main guy. Got murdered. Uh, Got shot in the head while he was cooking some spaghetti in the kitchen. That's classic. (laughs) Every time. Because you know how it is, too, is it's Meatball being like, Just know in my will, if I die, I want to be drowned in my gravy. (laughs) And so they have to go and shoot him in the head, and they're like, We gotta show him a little bit of respect. Meatball's been a part of this family so long. He's like, You're right. And they just stuck his head in the sauce. I want to know more about that second hitman there. Who is, who is that guy? That's, that's all his white guys. They all have weird consciousness. Good consciousness. Uh, for some reason, after Meatball got killed, the other mob guys kind of cooled off on Richard for a little bit and work dried up. So Richard had no choice but to go straight temporarily. Hmm. So he got a job at the Swift Line Trucking Company. Now this wasn't a change of heart for Richard. The only reason why he got a job at the trucking company so he could case the best trucks to hijack. Yeah, was he flipping through the phone book and he finally got into the S's and he's like, "Serial killer jobs. Here it is, <laughs> trucker." That is like he. Well, yeah. Oh, he worked on the docks. He was a loading. He was a loading. Yeah, he was a loading. Yeah, it was a loading. I guy. see. Yeah. That must have been strange the jokes he made about how he used to pick up bodies and throw them in the similar fashion. (laughs) But it was here at the trucking company that Richard would meet the unfortunate love of his life, Barbara Pedrici. Eventually, Mm. she would call the day they got married as the worst day of her life. And if the people who made the Iceman would have had any balls, the story we just told would have been the first act of their movie instead of it being Michael Shannon acting cute by hanging a fucking spoon off his nose. Yep. Wow. That's how The Godfather began, right? A huge wedding. Mm -hmm. That would have been a nice place to start. That's right. I gotta rewatch a Godfather. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I heard it's good. I heard yeah, it's good. Yeah, I heard it's really good. It good? Um, you know, he uh, he put cotton swabs in his mouth. And that's the next episode. It's a bit of an offer 
<laughs> you can't feel. <laughs> All right, there yeah, it is. That's where we'll pick back up for Richard Kuklinski Part 2. Kuklinski Part 2. This is a fascinating story. A uh, crazy life uh, life story for this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, yeah. everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. What do we have to do? We have to make this plug because we got a extra show. Yeah, we're going to be doing it here. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we added uh, a show to uh, the Phoenix show that's coming up. We're doing Phoenix on August seventeenth. Can't wait. Uh, and then the next day, we're going to be flying to California, and we're going to be doing a show in Santa Ana, Santa Ana. County. We're coming for you, bro. LB. See, man. Orange Coming down County. there, let's fucking take it. Take, come watch our wares. Come see our sundries in Santa yes. Ana. Yeah, and I want to see those tan surfer bods. I want to meet everyone in their in their <laughs> in their clothes that have the glove on them. The, I've those? always they heard gloves. Th- yeah, yeah. I've heard that we're really big in the surfer community. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, the, um, the world's most electrocuted yeah. surfer who listens while while surfing. <laughs> I just want to say thank you, everybody that stuck around. It's like I got a couple like. I want to say Spring Hill Jack Coffee sent me a cold brew set, right? Yeah. And it's just powerful. Good. I am vibrating. My back, <laughs> I, the backs of my knees are making coffee soup right now. Oh. And I think it's good. I think it's good. Oh, that's a good That's a good assessment. Yeah, I think so. All right. I think it's Very good. cool. And the tickets for uh, that Santa Ana show are going to go on sale next week, I believe on Monday or Tuesday. So be sure to check our Twitter and our website uh, to see uh, exactly where you can buy those tickets. Or you can just Google Santa Ana last podcast on the left. Yes. Cannot wait to see you in Phoenix. We cannot wait to see you. And again, apologies for the last time. No. Uh, we, we will be there and we cannot uh, say how much oh. enthusiasm we have. Cannot I wait say- to get into that 110 degree weather. I like the heat. So everyone <laughs> complains about it, but I love the heat because I'm not like Honestly, the Iceman. Honestly, it would be nice. You could wear less layers. I don't want to. <laughs> I know, but you you are obviously hot. You I am hot. coated in sweat on a regular basis. Slippery. And, uh, because like you got to wear some layers. Man, wear a tank top, man. My whole we all got bodies, man. My shorts are getting higher. My clothes are getting tighter. Yeah. I'm just doing this. Whether I'm getting fatter or not, that's what I'm doing. You have a strange comfortability with your form. <laughs> and yeah, I man, because I'm, accept- because I'm accepting... That every body is a gift that we're handed, and some gifts are kaleidoscopes, and some gifts are fleshlights, and some gifts are flashlights. <laughs> Does that make sense? Does yeah, any yeah, of that yeah. make sense? You just named a bunch of cylindrical things. That's me. Oh, that's, that's, the gift. <laughs> that's me. And that's I, why they um, call it the present. Thank you for sticking with us on our two-week break. It yes. wasn't really a break because we were working really hard. But yeah. we want to say thank you. We're back, and we're <laughs> ready a, to fucking go yeah. again, and it feels good to fucking do our shit. Yes, and I want to thank uh, Mary as well. She put together those best ofs, and yeah. she did such a great job. Thank so you, Mary. thank you, Mary Kelly. You are the best. She did a wonderful, wonderful job. Now you're going to want to give to the Patreon if you want to give us money. We're going to be back to doing some interviews yep. real soon. Right, Kissel? That is right, Henry. And I, I read some fun creepy pastas uh, this week as well, so check that out. One involves a lot of honey, Ooh. which is kind of oh. fun. So it's a Winnie weird the Pooh themed? No. That Christopher Robin movie makes me want to fucking go on a well, killing spree. Well, why did they do that? With They look so weird. I hate it. I hate it. That's awful. Get, leave them alone. Yeah. 
Just get him out of there. Just stop, stop doing Winnie the Pooh. And All right, I don't want to hear ever... Christopher Robin. I think a Christopher Robin in their real life would probably turn out to be Jeffrey Dahmer. Who knows? <laughs> and Eeyore deserves more of a movie, you know? More respect. Yeah. More respect. You know, he was right um, about everything. <laughs> and I am going to also postulate out there if we're ever going to do Riverdale version of Winnie the Pooh, I'm the guy. I'm saying yeah. it out loud right now on the show so that it can be willed into existence. Nah, they already cast um, Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Jim Carrey! <laughs> um, please, uh, if you want to follow us on social media for whatever fucking reason, follow us on Twitter at Henry Loves You and Marcus yep. Parks and LP on the I'm, left for all I'm the rest re, of it. I've re-deactivated. Again? You Again. do this every... You are becoming like Oprah with her weight. With <laughs> but I, I am loving Instagram. So follow me at Ben Kissel one on Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically it, I guess. That's it. All right. And watch and listen to all the other shows here on the LPN Network. Just peruse around. I'm sure you'll find something you like. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Yo, fuckers. Goodbye. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. And the Magustalations. Hail me. And hey guys, um, if you're gonna be a contract killer, why don't you use that energy to go ahead and become like a scientist? We need them. Oh yeah, we do. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all in one website platform for entrepreneurs who are looking to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for a creative way to increase revenue and give your family and friends the holiday treats they deserve, then you need to get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. If I needed to give a class on digging holes, I'd do it. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand. Upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills. And tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or you can sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash left.